Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Undisciplined. This is your host, Nico Beitendach. Today, we have a very special episode with Johannes Schmidt, project coordinator for the Niklas Luhmann Archiv at Bielefeld University. We will speak about the work that is being done in archiving Luhmann's literary estate in Bielefeld. This wonderful project is coordinated by Johannes. He was also kind enough to host me at the archive for close to a year that just came to an end and it was a wonderful opportunity for me. Please visit their website where you can access the digital edition of the archive at niklasluhmannarchiv.de That's niklas-luhmann-archiv like in English but no e at the end .de The intro track is Melatonin by Grada. Please check his page out in the episode description as well as the archives website is also in the episode description. Enjoy this episode. Yes, Johannes, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today about your work at the Niklas Luhmann archive here at Bielefeld University. I always ask people who I speak to to first introduce themselves and also their academic background. So in your case, how did you get interested in sociology? What is your academic biography in the field of uh, sociology? And how did you end up being involved with the Luhmann Archiv? Yeah, thank you first for the uh, possibility to give an interview to you. Um, uh, after high school, I first wanted to be, uh, become a journalist and I studied uh, Zeitungswissenschaft at the University in Munich. That's uh, communication science. Um, However, in a seminar on social theory, one of the lecturers uh, gave me the urgent uh, advice to do something with more intellectual appeal, as he put it. So I switched to sociology um, two years later. And when on the first semesters, I attended the introductory lectures on social theory by Walter Bühl. Nobody knows him uh, today, I think. And he goes through all the theories from the classics to the present. And uh, at the end, he, he handed out a list of literature one should read and buy the books um, if one is interested in sociological theory. And then, of course, I uh, buy the books <laughs> uh, and Luhmann's social systems was on the list as well. And they looked into the book uh, after buying it and simply didn't understand anything I, I've read at the first time. Okay. And I found it in some form disturbing, and in the other way, I found it fascinating. And I want to understand what is uh, said in the book and uh, what these puzzling sentences really mean. Um, but my primary interest at that time was not uh, system theory, but uh, science uh, st uh, studies of technology and science. And then I moved to, uh, from Munich to Bielefeld because in Bielefeld there was a research center for these issues. And, um, and when I made the decision to move to, to Bielefeld, I didn't even know that Luhmann was teaching there and that he was teaching at that time. But I, of course, uh, as I realized it, uh, I go to his seminars and uh, to his uh, lectures and was really surprised because uh, the theory was really accessible in these lectures. And, and Luhmann as a, as a person was and the theorist was accessible too. Um, and he was with any attitudes. Um, wow, that was really interesting. And almost all the students interested in Luhmann at this time were students at this research center on science and technology. And we were something of a clique, of a conspiratorial group, <laughs> uh, really eaten up by theory, I think, most of us. And um, there was some momentum of, of uh, understanding and discussing the theory and, and some sort of intellectual fascination. If you get deeper into the theory at that time as a student, it, it ch actually changed, the, 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 I think, the, the world. It, you, your view on the, of the world really was a different one after, afterwards. After I uh, finished my studies, I was a, a project collaborator of Rudolf Stichwe, uh, who was the direct successor on the chair. 
of, of Niklas Luhmann and has uh, his doctorate in habilitation under Luhmann in, in Bielefeld. Um, and further, especially further developed the concept of world society of Niklas Luhmann. And, um, and at that time, I actually do uh, empirical research with system theory and, uh, and two projects. Uh, one was uh, on the legal requirements of non-marital partnership, very special issue at this time. And another was the popularization of science, um, scientific knowledge through exhibitions. That was uh, an exhibition on uh, genetics. Uh, in that time. And I moved with Stichwi uh, to, to Luzern in, in Switzerland in 2003. Um, and this is, uh, was a really small uh, seminar institute in Luzern, new, new institute. And this was something like a Bielefeld branch, I would say. Everyone comes from Bielefeld. <laughs> and, uh, but it was very nice because there was not the, the great faculty disturbing with different interests and right. persons who don't like system theory. <laughs> so it was very interesting. Um, and then I, I moved back in 20, uh, 2009 uh, due to family reasons to Bielefeld and a short time li later, Andre Kieserling, who is the uh, uh, successor of the chair of Stichweh and was the last assistant of uh, uh, Niklas Luhmann, he asked me whether I would like to take over the edition of the uh, literary estate. I then spent, I think, two and a half years uh, researching to find out what was in this literary state and uh, then wrote an application for an editing project, uh, which fortunately was accepted into the academic program in 2015. Yeah, I find it interesting that you said uh, when you first read Luhmann, on the one hand, you don't understand at all, but on the other hand, that makes you really want to understand because I, that's exactly my experience too it was <laughs> the first drive was to try and get, message, get yeah. the message unlock what this is about but this podcast is not specifically a lumanian one so yeah. if you don't mind and this is a very big question but if we can try to very simply or very shortly can you give an overview of who niklas luman was uh and his theory yeah i will try <laughs> Uh, as for his person, Luhmann was uh, born in 1927 in uh, Lüneburg. He was the son of a brewer. That's not very interesting, but <laughs> that's the fact. And uh, he studied uh, law after World War II for three years in Heidelberg. And uh, then first worked as a civil servant in, uh, in uh, public administration. And, and this time he really began reading scientific literature, organizational sciences, sociological philosophy. And you wrote in this time a doctoral thesis in law on political consulting. Where we have the, the manuscript in the literary estate, 270 pages, um, finished, almost finished, but didn't submit the, uh, the, the thesis because his supervisor has gone into politics uh, and was not any longer at the university. Uh, then he goes to uh, Harvard for one year in 1960, still as a senior civil servant in the, in the administration, and studied by Talcott Parsons, the, the leading sociological theorist at that time in the USA, and uh, representative of functionalist system theory. Um, and then he comes back to Germany and changed sides from practitioner, administrative uh, practitioner to administrative theorist, became a lecturer at the uh, Verwaltungshochschule Speyer, that's the University of Administrative Science in, in, in Speyer, and it's, uh, where the scientific training of the administrative employees in Germany takes place. Um, he's, he himself has more theoretical interest than practitioner interest and uh, wrote some books in this time and in, in 1965 he moved to uh, Dortmund, Sozialforschungsstelle Dortmund, that was uh, uh, the leading social research department in sociology in Germany at that time. It's part of the University of Münster and uh, received his doctorate and habilitation in one year in 1966. The books had been written in 1964 and 1966. Um, the institute was headed by Helmut Schelsky. It's a very um, prominent figure in, in German sociology in the 1960s and um, was very influential on professional policy at that time. And uh, Schelsky was the one who developed the concept of the Bielefeld University in the 60s, uh, which was founded in 1969. And um, 
Luan becomes the first professor at the, this university in 1968, one year before the university uh, opens, actually opens. Uh, and um, he stayed in Bielefeld until his retirement in 1993. Well, his theory is it's not so simple to uh, describe. <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's one of the grand theories, I would think, in sociology. And he developed a, an, an, a theoretical framework about 40 years uh, all his academic work uh, in his academic career was on this framework or theoretical framework um, and uh, the intention was to describe every social phenomena you can think of in the same with the same concepts and um, he has written 600 publications on a, a wide range of topics um, and all everything in the conceptual frames of social system theory. What does it mean? First of all, he had uh, uh, developed a social theory, basic social theory, uh, one could say, uh, to distinguish three types of social systems, interaction, organization, and society, that are the fundamental social systems you can find. And um, on this um, background, he uh, developed a, a theory of society um, Uh, since 1970, and which was completed in 1997, 25, 26, 7 years later. And this theory describes society as a communication system, internally differentiated in functional subsystems, which themselves, themselves uh, are separated in some form, operative, but are working net, uh, net worldwide, networking worldwide. And uh, within this uh, framework, uh, Luhmann published monographs on the, all the functional systems, uh, you, you know, uh, economy, science, art, law, and so on, uh, on social communication media, as he puts it. That's, for example, uh, power, trust, or love, it's, uh, but also articles on country issues uh, such as exclusion, ecological, the ecological question, or social movements. Well, yes, the theory was prominent from the 1970s, I would say, and uh, discussed very controversial in sociology and beyond. Um, it, I think it's particularly remarkable to know that the, the perception of the theory was uh, not remained to sociology, but uh, a very intensive report of the theory was uh, in uh, human, humanities, uh, Uh, law, theology, literature, media studies, arts, arts, science, political studies, uh, family therapy, for example, educational uh, science, and so on, management, organization science, and uh, philosophy. Uh, he was uh, uh, intensively perceived in, in South America, Spanish-speaking world, in Italy and Japan, And the last decade uh, in, in uh, the Anglo-Saxon-speaking world, as well as there uh, are uh, publications, uh, translations of the publications. And um, a major translation program is currently launched in China uh, to translate all the uh, monographs uh, he has uh, written. As, as we know, the Lumen Archive, we know there are 28 languages. Uh, in which Luhmann's books or articles are uh, transcribed. Great. That was a very excellent overview. Thank you. So uh, you gave us also this background or biography of Luhmann, but he, as far as I understand, he gained his first real public prominence in his debate with the famous philosopher Jürgen Habermas. And this has become a kind of legendary exchange between these two figures. Yeah. Do you mind explaining a little bit what the, the background of the Luhmann-Habermas debate, what, what it was about and what the effect was, of that was? Yeah. Uh, perhaps one can distinguish between uh, the discussion of content and the impact on the professional politics, I would say. Sure. And uh, uh, so start with the later, in the early 70s, Luhmann was a newly appointed professor at a new university, a specialist in administrative science, uh, hardly known beyond this inner circle, I would say. 
How was, as you said, was one of the great figures in this time, although two young, uh, years younger than Luhmann, leading intellectual uh, figure in uh, the 1968 movement. And before the publication of the book, therefore, the roles were uh, clearly divided, I would say, uh, the prominent one and the un unknown one, one could say. And um, the volume itself, the book itself, was a great success, especially in, the, in terms of number of sold books. And uh, it made Luhmann overnight an equal antipode to uh, Jürgen Habermas. Uh, what the content uh, is uh, uh, concerned, uh, the title of the book suggested was about the question of critical social theory, that is Habermas, uh, versus a functional description of society, that's uh, Luhmann. In the title, evaluatively called social technology, or as Habermas uh, puts it, a social cybernetics, which places theory as uh, on the service of existing conditions, conservative theory as Parsons for example. At least this was Habermas, you, uh, you must say, who understood his theory as a normative one. Together with this description of the society also providing an evaluative standard to criticize, to classify the existing condition and to criticize the circumstances and to uh, correct them in some way. Luhmann saw things differently and his uh, concept of uh, equivalence functionalism uh, in particular was an approach of making visible in his mind the possibilities excluded in the status quo of the society. For him, this was the really critical uh, approach uh, describing the society. In concrete terms, the volume dealt with basic concepts of both theories, um, meaning, concept of meaning, the concept of communication, of system, of discourse, uh, technique, work, and so on. In terms of the, uh, uh, theoretical history, I would say the volume was history only two or three years later. Never, it, it has no uh, really, has no, there's no, I think there were two or three or four, I don't know exact, the exact number following supplement uh, volumes, but there was not a really tradition of discussion going on in the later 1970s. Um, I'd say the relationship between Luhmann and Habermas uh, remains somewhat unclear to me after looking into the literary estate. Uh, there was, uh, although there were still regular, more or less regular contacts even after the dis discussion, there was no uh, uh, real correspondence between uh, the two as one as I have expected. Um, Luhmann himself probably lost interest in Habermas theory with the increasing commitment of Habermas to social philosophy, I think. Um, after um, the publication of Theory of Communicative uh, Action in, in 1981, uh, I think the theory uh, could hardly offer any, of, uh, be of any interest for him any longer. Uh, and uh, when asked in an interview in the mid-80s whether he believed that Habermas also ran a card index like, like Luhmann, he answered quite disrespectfully, for this theory, simple criteria of order seems to be sufficient. And I think that's <laughs> really, uh, yeah, <laughs> you have to comment on this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Luhmann passed away in 1998, and subsequently this Luhmann Archiv has been founded at Bielefeld University. So what do you think is the importance of establishing this archive, and what were or are the challenges that have popped up in doing this, and... In complement to that, what are the goals of the archive? What do you and your staff hope to achieve in archiving Luhmann's literary estate? Yeah. Uh, I think Luhmann can, without doubt, be called the most important German sociologist in this 20th century, perhaps beside Max Weber. And, and uh, his, his, his theory is internationally outstanding. We can compare it with Michel Foucault, Pierre Bourdieu, Jürgen Habermas. But they are different in the, the concept And I think in the, in the interdisciplinary connectivity Luhmann's theory has. The literary estate itself makes the uh, Luhmann and his theory uh, building visible, I would say. In Goffman's words, uh, you might know it, it's uh, the backstage, front stage, and backstage uh, distinction. Uh, it's the backstage of the theory uh, you, you are looking uh, uh, on, and if you look into the literary estate. And in 
terms of the information content beyond the published work, you know, uh, it uh, may only be surpassed in the more recent history of ideas by the estate of Edmund Husserl, which is a really big one. And, um, and th this statement is especially true for the, for the card index, I would say, containing about 90,000 notes. These notes are written between 1951 or two. We don't really don't know the exact date and 1997. And it documents the theoretical development of Luhmann from the beginning on. So that the collection can be understood as his intellectual bio autobiography, as Rudolf uh, once puts it. In addition, the card index itself has a specific structure of order which is uh, interesting from a point of view of history of science, not only a theory of sociology. Additionally, there are some 200 uh, unpublished manuscripts, which are of some interest from the first start of the theory, 50s and 60s, um, where you can uh, analyze the intellectual roots of, of the Lumanian theory which is often rather hidden in the published work. For example, the, the, the uh, Husserlian um, reception of Luhmann. There are four comprehensive versions of the theory of society, which Luhmann produced between 1964, five and 1990. The theory of society was his. That was his, that was his main project right. all over the years. And you can see in this version the, the development of the theory um, as well. Well, I think um, in the view of the importance of the theory in the history of thought, it appeared to be an obligation to make it accessible to the public. It's, it's no question. Uh, and made it accessible in an appropriate manner. That means uh, you have to think about how to, how to publish it, not only as print, but also a digital uh, version. And... Um, Especially the card index is, is something um, which is uh, uh, really appropriate to be published in a digital version. It's, uh, I think it's, you can say this is digital humanity is at its best if you publish it as a, as a hypertext because the card index is a, some sort of hypertext. Also, it wasn't published digital wasn't written in digital uh, in digital version by Luhmann himself. So it's a very good choice to do it this way, I think. Okay, so very broadly, do you mind explaining what you mentioned, the, the different versions of the theory of society and the card index, but slightly more broadly, what, what does the archive contain? And after beginning the process of archiving his estate, were there any surprising finds well yeah uh, uh, i think there are four sections in the in the literary estate that does the card index that there are many scripts manuscripts the working library uh, of luhmann and the correspondence and um, the card index is the central component i would say of of the literary estate uh, it's not very big in uh, if, if you look at it first you're really disappointed <laughs> it's uh, 70, uh, 27 drawers, each containing about 3,000 notes, handwritten notes, undated notes in octave format. Um, that means 90,000 notes, as I've told. And uh, there are two collections, one from 1920, uh, 1951 to 1963, with about uh, 20,300, 23,000 notes, and from 1963 to 1963 
and uh, about 500 uh, talk notes he gave, gave over the years from 1966 to 90, I think, 96. Um, and the main unpublished manuscripts are from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and some are from the 1990s. Uh, which he hadn't finished because of his health uh, circumstances. They are from different fields of theory, social theory, societal theory, administrative and organizational science and theory of education. The working library is uh, comparatively small. Yeah? Uh, he read mostly in libraries all over the world and not at home. And, um, he once said in an interview uh, that he makes confirmations to conferences less dependent on the topic of the conference itself, but on the uh, whether there's an interesting library nearby, he can visit uh, during the conference. So his library is, is in some way, it's, it's disappointing. If you have uh, if you thought of uh, tons of books from all of the uh, sciences, uh, science fields you can think of, it's about, uh, it contains about ten or eleven thousand titles, but they're not only books, but articles, journal articles, book articles, and so on. And there are hardly any editing editing notes in the books or on the articles. No one always make notes only on cards, not on the not in the books and not on the articles when reading. Um, the correspondence is about nine thousand uh, index units, but there is. No really interesting uh, or extensive correspondence with any person uh, you know. The one or two exceptions, Karl Ebert Shaw, it's an educational scientist from Hamburg, in which Luhmann worked for quite a long time. That was a really exception. He normally doesn't work with anyone but himself. Uh, and Sepp Gumbrecht, you may know, this uh, Stanford uh, literary scientist who wrote many letters to Luhmann, but Luhmann doesn't wrote so much letters to, <laughs> to Gumbrecht. <laughs> uh, well, um, I think I, I was surprised by th perhaps on uh, by three points. First, um, the strong orientation of Luhmann towards, towards Husserl in the beginning of his of his uh, scientific studies, his social studies. His first uh, monographical manuscript to general theory from the 1960s is titled uh, Studien in uh, Phenological Studien für Soziologie and in English Studies in Phenological Sociology. And uh, Luhmann in this manuscript, Luhmann attempt to combine two traditions. On the one hand, uh, the transcendental theory of Husserl, which, in which Luhmann has, uh, Husserl had encountered the intersubjective constitution of the world and meaning. And on the other hand, uh, sociological functionalism. Malinowski, Parsons, and so on. And Lumen's proposal was to look for the function of society uh, at approximately the same place where the transcendental subject in Husserl's theory takes his place. And with a little exaggeration, one can say that Lumen's concepts, uh, concept of the world society is comes directly or indirectly from Husserl's life world uh, concept. Secondly, the number of the independent versions of the uh, theory of society was surprising, I think. Um, we all have known that uh, Luhmann has worked uh, lifelong on, on uh, this topic. Um, but uh, the fact that there were at least three uh, extensive and completed versions of uh, the theory from the 670s, 80s and the 90s, each of them were really new versions and no credible reversions was new to us. Um, Luhmann himself apparently wrote them as a kind of theoretical self-understanding, I would say, not for publishing. They might have been published, uh, but first of all, it was a, some sort of thinking about what he's doing in this time. And due to the modifications in his general theory, he put them aside in order to start all over again with a new version, without questioning the basic concepts, but with a new, radical new version of the theory. And uh, thirdly, as I've, I've uh, just said, uh, the surprise was uh, concerning the underproductiveness of the correspondence in scientific terms. It's, it's trivial, trivial letters. I, I do not come to, cannot come to your conference. Uh, you have to pay my... Uh, room in the hotel and something like this. Right. Where, where, where's, uh, 
here's my flight ticket and so on. And nothing, nothing really uh, interesting except one uh, thing is the papers uh, called Notizen zum Erziehungssystem, notes on the education system that are notes he exchanged with uh, Kali Batshaw, I've mentioned, uh, the educational scientist. There are about 100 and 1,100 notes from the mid of the 1970s to the mids of the 1980s. And it's a document of their um, discussion on educational science in this time. Interesting. To go back to something that you already mentioned, you mentioned his famous note card system or the tittle custom, and that you said that from the 1950s until his death, he was developing this way of uh, organizing his research. And you said that now uh, you are digitizing all of it and that it lends itself very well to hypertext and links and so on. Do you mind explaining a little bit more how this node card or index card system of him worked and what makes it so so special and unique? Well, that's a very difficult question to answer in a short way, <laughs> but I will try. In, uh, in the mid-1950s, before Man, uh, Luhmann had any institutional affiliation to science, he began reading, as I've told, and writing notes and uh, he was already conscien conscious of the fact that uh, he are not writing notes for one book he will now write, but uh, it's, it will be a greater project, eventually a lifelong project. And the common notes of organizing, common methods of organizing notes in folders or something like that would be inefficient. So we started this card started uh, the cards based filing system. I, we really don't know where he has the idea from. There are no, there's no self-description where he said I've, the idea comes from uh, one of the scientists in the 19th century, for example, where the, the idea was relatively prominent, but not in the design Luhmann uh, choose then. Uh, the bulk of the collections consist of notes, I've, I've told. Uh, Luhmann, uh, results of Luhmann's reading, but only uh, as well thoughts of himself and arguments and concepts he just developed. Um, but uh, the notes he made during reading was some sort of excerpts, but they are do not, uh, not, uh, not notes for the Zettelkasten uh, uh, itself. He made them in the evening after coming home. Um, and he was reading the books, as he said, with a view of what could be used for the Zettelkasten, not what is the message of the book itself, but what can I do with it, looking at the notes I already had in my index card. Furthermore, his main concern was not to develop an idea to maximum sophistication before putting it into the Zettelkasten, but uh, he operated on the assumption that the decision of the usefulness of or, or the content of a note could only made be in relating it to other notes and read it uh, some day later, time later. And the content of the note and the, uh, the innovativeness of a note could only be decided in the future and not the, at the time he really writes the note. Furthermore, there wasn't, uh, that was not clear when writing the note where it should be inserted, inserted into the collection. And um, normally there were more than one possibility, possible place to put it. And that's the main, I think, the main idea of the, of the collection, to put it to be as some sort of organism, living organism. Yeah. And um, in detail, there are four special characteristics um, which makes this thing working. I would say, um, first of all, a specific system of organization and method of card integration, uh, corresponding specific uh, rules of numbering, an internal system of linking, as I've said, hyperlinks, and um, comprehensive word keyboard index. All this together makes Lumen's card index a complex cognitive system, as he said. Secondary memory, once said. Um, and I would say a few words to every further, all the four points I've mentioned. Um, first, the method of card integration. According to Luhmann himself, the card collection is a, a combination of order and disorder, as he put it, clustering and unpredictable combination emerging from a talk selection. That's that his words. Um, 
but of course the the collection is not a simple uh, chaotic compilation of notes but is an aggregation of a vast number of cards on specific concepts and topics on the first on the first view but it's a specific system of organization of the notes which is applied within these sections which is the interesting point the point is that the initial decision for a specific topic or a specific issue did not lead to a sequence of cards confined to that one topic only. Uh, whenever Luhmann came across an interesting idea about a secondary, a secondary aspect on one of his cards, he pursued this idea by adding additional notes on this topic and inserted the respective card at that place in the existing sequence of notes. This method could, method could be applied again to the card that had been inserted and so forth. The result being a sequence of cards leading away conceptually and thematically away from the first theme of the initial subject of the section uh, in which the thing starts. This technique enables to the collection to grow not only in number but inwards in complexity, I would say, without limitations of systematic order. You know, while they have as well in, index, in normal index cards and normal Xetacasten. Uh, but the position of the larger subject areas as well as the individual cards is not uh, only the historical product of Luhmann's reading interests. It's also the result of the, as I've said, difficulty to assign an issue to one and one only single subject or concept. It's a matter of ambiguity, one could say, or conceptual indecisiveness. And Luhmann solved this problem by you seeing it as a not as a problem, but as an opportunity. You can put one card in different places of the collection and every place is adequate. You choose. There is no wrong place. And um, the, the rationality to decide where to put a card is only a local one. It's a local solution. The card has to f uh, connect, has to be connected with the card before. That's the only rationality you have to take in mind if you uh, insert a new card. That means the position of a special subject or a special card does nothing say about the theoretical importance of the card. There is no bottom and there is no uh, top in the collection itself. That's the first point. The second point, the system of numbering. Um, to get this compilation uh, and, and these numbers of cards to speak to you, you uh, have to uh, have a possibility to address each card individually to find it again because there is no overall systematical structure right. you, you can uh, use. So the idea and the, the solution is uh, a specific number system or a notational system. Each card gets a number and thus a fixed position in the collection. Um, it's, it's really simple, but, but uh, it works very well. F the first card you are noting, the first note you are writing gets the number one and the second the number two. And um, the third one, the argument goes on, number three. And then you find this, an interesting point on card number one, which doesn't really fix in the argument from one to two. Uh, and then you write a note and on this special issue and put it between card number one and card number two. And the number two is not available. And so you have to get another number. And that is simply one A. And you put it in between one, one and two, and then you can go on the second argument, and that in the following note is one a, one b, and again you can on one a you can follow a new argument, and that is one a one, and that goes on one a one one a two, and so on and so forth, and you see how this works, and then at the end you have numbers with I don't know twelve fourteen digits uh, at the end. The third uh, principle is the system of linking, as I've said. Um, that's another, I think, uh, that's a, a key feature of the collection as well. Um, there is no uh, systematic order, and so there are different places where notes on the same subject or um, uh, subjects which have something to do with the first one can be found, and you have to link them. That's the term, the exact term. And um, so Luhmann uh, puts notes, uh, writes the number of another note on a note, which is in some way uh, related to the first one. 
around about, uh, we have, I think we have around about 50,000 references of this kind throughout the uh, collection. And there are especially two types um, of, of references, single references, where he only puts one number of a note into the text he just have written. So to make a sh shortcut, as network theoreticals would uh, say, a network analysis uh, would say to get to another place where an argument which is uh, of interest can be found. And the second uh, sort of uh, references are collective references that are um, at the beginning of, of uh, thematical sections. You, of, uh, always, or, or you often find a card with only a number of references only, up to 25 different references, different numbers of, of notes, of other notes. In, in a network theoretical term, that's some sort of hub. Uh, from this point, you can get to many other points in the collection. Uh, in the corona times, you know, you're talking about super, super spreader. That's yeah. exactly the same mechanism. If you go, if you find this note with 25 references, you find everything in the collection doing, which has to do with the theme you are just looking at. And if you compare this with the internet, you see it's some sort of hyperlink. And it was developed in the 1950s. Yeah. So there were no personal computers, only the big companies do have some sort of very slow working computers at that time. So that was very innovative, I, I would say. Um, and the, th the fourth um, principle is the keyword index. That's, that is the central key. <laughs> so it's the right word, keyword index, in, in a double sense. Um, you don't have a table of contents in the uh, collection because it always changes its, its content. You can't really write a, a table of contents and, and there's no systematic order. So it it's, uh, can't, can't be written. So you have uh, to use a keyword index to find anything uh, in the collection. And... Um, uh, Luhmann created permanently keyword index. There are different versions of, of a keyword index. As after some time, he write a new one because the other, the old one, cannot be read uh, any longer. And we have about 4,350 uh, entries in the last version of the keyword index. The keyword index, and uh, contrary to the normal to a normal uh, keyword index or subject index in a book, it does not claim to provide a complete list of all the nodes uh, combined with a special keyword. But Luhmann rather notes one to three numbers. And the idea was that you can find all the other nodes by using the links on the nodes you find. Well, that's uh, that are the essential principles of the index of the Zettelkasten. Although uh, there's one thing uh, that should not be ignored, and that is Nicholas Luhmann, I think. <laughs> Uh, the books couldn't could be only uh, be productive because Luhmann was the author and the user, and he was uh, within it like a fish underwater. I would say he he knows where everything, every notes are. There were no uh, descriptions on the front of the Zettelkasten, no numbers on the front, but he knows which drawer to take out to find number seven slash. 25A, I don't know the number, exactly number. Um, but he really knows where to look at. Oh, that's incredible. So uh, at the archive, several of his unpublished manuscripts have, in the meantime, been published publicly. How was the decision made to publish certain manuscripts, and especially if one considers that Luhmann himself decided not to publish something? So on what basis are such decisions taken and what are some examples of things that have been published? Yeah, first of all, most of the work is still ahead of us. We have just published one, really one big book. But uh, besides all this, we will certainly publish one or two more versions of the uh, theory of society, uh, the phenological writings, the early writings I've uh, told about, very large manuscript and educational system, very interesting book. A smaller one, administration from the 1960s, and probably several lectures, uh, lecture notes from the 1960s, and it's the first time in, in at the University of Münster where he gave his first lectures, and um, 
yeah, conceptualize his program that uh, will be followed the next decades. And of course, a larger number of essays and articles. Uh, the the uh, theory of society versions are interesting, as I've told, because um, they are a document of the development of the theory itself. The concept was established in the 1960s, the overall concept of the, the design of the theory, but uh, the, the content differs between the different uh, decades. And it's, it's a sort of documentation of the theory development as well as the card index, I would say. Yeah. But it's the official side <laughs> of, of theory development, not the, not the backstage. And like the card index, the phenological essay, uh, uh, early writings show the great importance of Edmund Husserl, which uh, was really stunning and is in some sort form hidden in the official publication. If you read uh, Social System from 1984, you, there is a chapter on, me, on meaning, but if you look at who's the name Husserl, you really, it's hard to find the name. But it's, it's the, the influence of the Husserl thinking is, uh, really is dominant. And as I've told, the large manuscript in education system from the 70s fills a blank space, I think, in Lumen's uh, writing. Um, there was, is a version from the 1990s uh, published uh, in 2002, posthum, but this was only a first draft. Lumen had, hadn't finished uh, the book. And um, this was in some way insatisfactory, uh, especially because Lumen has a very intensive discourse with educational uh, scientists from the 1970s over the 1980s to the 1990s, uh, mediated particularly by uh, uh, Karl Ebert Shaw, the educational scientist, with whom he also planned the book. This book, that's one of these uh, cases where he planned a book with another, with a co-author. Um, he published one book with uh, Shaw in 1979, Reflexions, Reflection Problems of the Educational System, I think it's the English title. But that might be a result of the, of the uh, collaboration on the, the bigger book, which was not published. We don't know, really know, don't know what we were, because why it wasn't published. But um, the question, of course, remains, why do we publish manuscripts, a material that Luhmann didn't? The question itself is especially justified because Luhmann, up from the 1970s on, I would say, uh, all the texts he starts writing were published afterwards. He doesn't write uh, and put it aside. Every manuscript is finished and published. And um, for some manuscripts, essay manuscripts in the 1990s, that's not the case uh, because of health reasons. He can't really finish them. But these texts are not really unfinished, I would say. They are, uh, because Luhmann has a special technique uh, in revising manuscripts. If the first version he writes is something you, sh you could publish. It's in some form, it's, it's ready to be published and um, they are complete but not really finished, <laughs> I would say, because uh, Luhmann uh, in the second or third version puts new passages into an existing manuscript, new parts. Uh, as in the Zettelkasten, he inserts and he uses the same number technique. Yeah. You have number one, page number one, and page number two, and then you find in the second version 1A, B, C, and so on. So the texts are complete in a certain way, but they are not finished. In contrast, the texts of the, in the beginning of his career in the 1960s, especially the monographs, um, they are not completed as a whole. They are uh, in some way they had started with one or two or three chapters and then put them aside. We really don't know why, because I think because the development of his theoretical thinking thinking has uh, overtaken himself <laughs> while writing the books and. Um, and that's the precisely our interest lies in, in this case, as we want to uh, document the, the beginning of this theory. Thank you. So the archive has been going for a few years now, um, but it, the work is not complete. So what still lies in the future that needs to be done in the archive itself? And then more broadly speaking, from your particularly interesting position, how do you see the legacy of Luhmann's work in, in theory or in academia in general? Uh, 
to to your second question, it's it's difficult to answer. I think uh, I think the time of the super or grand theory is is, is over. It's it's uh, seems to be clear. Um, one can even go so far to say that Luhmann is one of the last <laughs> representatives, I would say, of this sort of theory. What currently dominates in sociology is time agnostic descriptions, I would say, of society. And um, in these you can see quite clearly the problem that is connected with so these middle-range theories, as one would say. They are focusing on a structural feature of one structural feature of society that supposedly dominates the whole society. And I think in this way they are uh, reducing the complexity of society to an integrated minimum, one point. And they usually do so without an overall concept of society, and uh, which could justify why exactly this feature should be so dominant. And this is the reason why they can claim that everything is new in this society they are living in, normally. And in this respect, I think a theory like Lumanian uh, theory uh, is some sort of uh, an indicator of what such middle-range theory theories can actually achieve because they have the overall picture of society which uh, you can discuss if description of society as functionally differentiated is adequate nowadays but i haven't found any uh, description up to nowadays which uh, convinced me that this is not the case the internet makes some difference of course but we always differentiate between society, economy and science and art and law and so on. There's a communication technique which is used by the functional systems, but they use them as functional systems and nothing else. So um, I would say that such a form of theory with uh, which looks on the society as a whole is really necessary for the discipline, for sociology. And I think there's no doubt of the importance of the concept of what society which is uh, made prominent by Luhmann first. That's not globalization, it's a different thing. And uh, I think the actual uh, development of this society uh, is some sort of uh, proof of this concept. Everything is connected to everything else in the world, function differentiated. That's a very interesting concept. Uh, I think what one must protect the theory from is a purely schematic use of uh, the conceptual apparatus. You have the tendency to, uh, in, in uh, systems theoretical literature uh, to look after new functional systems, for example, military or something like that, that Newman has not yet described, or to look at some new types of s- systems, groups, for example, network is another example, and then put on the, the start button and uh, <laughs> theory, uh, the conceptual machine begins to work. And that's not really an interesting form of literature, I would say. Because you you already know what is the result of the description. It's nothing new. It's not, it's not really... Um, then, then it's not even innovative in, in some sense. They're just doing what Luhmann has not done. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all. And... Uh, I think in this concept is it's 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 I think it's interesting to see that the late Newman has this tendency too, I would say, um, especially after using the, the uh, concepts of George Spencer Brown about medium and form, and um, Heider and the concept of um, observation, and these last books from the 1990 92, 92 on, uh, I think are a little bit. Uh, concept orientated and they are less sociologically innovative as the uh, compared with the, the books from the 1970s especially that was real sociology <laughs> i would say and then the last years it was some sort of doing the program thank you so we're coming towards the end so for people who want to find out more about the work that you are doing at the archive and have access to the archive, where can they find all of this information? Yeah, uh, since uh, one and a half years, spring 2019, we have an own internet portal, um, niklasumanarchiv.de, um, where we present the estate holdings and uh, in, give information about the work and the person uh, 
this content is rather small at the moment, but will uh, continuously uh, expand over the years. And at the moment, uh, the digital holdings are still dominated by the card index. We put a very great deal of work, including technical work. I think two and a half or three years, we are working on the technique and the conceptual framework for the internet uh, presentation of the card index into the navigation and the search options and so on to ensure that the collection is actually uh, readable. Readable in a form Lumen hasn't the opportunity to in the analogous uh, form of the Zettelkasten. In the future, we, I hope we will publish a, a transcription and a digitalization of a, every, a new drawer every six months. That would mean that we finish the first collection in 2023 and the second in 2030. <laughs> That's the end of our project. Uh, it's a long time, but just need the time to do the job. And uh, we are now beginning to digitize the manuscripts and put the, we will put them in uh, facsimiles online in the uh, medium part from next year on, I think, 2021, partly as supplements to uh, print publications we, are, we will do and partly also exclusively. First versions, for example, or the, the talk notes will be only presented uh, on the portal. In addition, you, uh, we have, I will add a complete overview of the uh, library, of Newman's library, which, as I have said, is not such interest of such interest. And we have offer a list of work of his uh, a list of works of his works and a complete bibliography, which is now has about two thousand and three hundred entries, all the, the different uh, publications in original Germany and uh, translations in different languages. Yeah, thank you, and definitely I will put a link of that in the episode description. Thanks. Um, yeah, I really hope many people look at that, and I think the work is really essential. It will be useful for, for many, many years, I'm convinced. So thank you also to you and your colleagues and your team for, for doing this this work. Not not everyone can come to Bielefeld, yes, so right, yeah. this is... Uh, a very important contribution. So just to finish off on a kind of a, a lighter note, do you also, as someone who, as you said, you attended seminars of Luhmann and so on, do you have any personal favorite anecdotes about Niklas? And because he is a, a person whose private life is not so well known, perhaps, as other thinkers. So I'm sure it would be very interesting to hear some of some stories that y you personally like yeah, from my own experience, I can say that Luan was extremely polite, but also extremely, extremely distanced type of person. You really don't know him personally. You can't get in touch with him. But he was, uh, he does not make much trouble about his person. Also, he was a celebrity <laughs> in sociology, I would say. Uh, and um, uh, there are two things uh, that come to my mind. In his seminars and especially in his colloquia in the evening, there were often people who made contributions that were really difficult to understand. They were in some sort strange and simply nonsensical in some way. But Luhmann let them finish uh, with an almost, I would say, Asian-like politeness. He sits there and doesn't make a face. And when they are finished, he liked to say, of course you can do it that way. But I would prefer to start with a different distinction. That was a typical statement, which means in the subtext is devastating criticism. And then he talks about another thing yeah. in, the, in the following minutes. Uh, that was typical for Luhmann. And not offensive, very polite, but clear in the message for those who could get the message. <laughs> Another example of this very special kind takes place in his farewell lecture in uh, 19, February 1993, which was attended by a huge crowd, several hundred people in, in the Audimax in, in the university. And as is customary in such occasions, there were first uh, the official speeches, uh, a greeting from the rector of the university and then from the dean of the faculty of sociology. Ottheim Ramstedt. Now, it is important to know that Luhmann was acquainted with uh, Ottheim Ramstedt for about um, 25 years at this time. Ramstedt was already one of his colleagues in Münster at the beginning of his academic career. And it was his first assistant in Bielefeld for two years in the beginning of the 1970s. And uh, Ramstedt himself, 
who uh, published all the works of uh, Georg Simmel, um, I want to say, uh, Ramschitz himself was not a great speaker, which was one of the reasons why his speech was a bit exhausting as well for him as well as for the audience. But after only a few minutes, four or five minutes, uh, it was uh, thing was over, and then Luhmann went to the desk, but didn't thank Ramschitz politely for the warm words as one have. Uh, expected. He just said, uh, I would say it in German first, uh, nach so viel umständlichen Vorbereitungen kommen wir jetzt zur Sache. What in the translated means, after so much cumbersome preparation, we now come to the point. It's, it's some form of unpoliteness, I would say. And the point, of course, was his lecture uh, with a really beautiful title, a title, What is the Case and What is Behind It? Was ist der Fall und was liegt dahinter? And you can listen to the lecture and the very special prologue in uh, our portal. Thank you very much, Johannes Schmidt. Yeah, thank you.